We have a tendency to believe that stories equal reality. Everyone has heard a story of some daring entrepreneur who risked it all and started a billion dollar business. Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of college and went on to start Microsoft and Facebook. Elon Musk couldn't pay rent and was hours away from going bankrupt when he started Tesla and SpaceX. The richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, left his VP position at Wall Street investment firm to pack boxes out of a small office that would later become Amazon.com. These are all really good stories that a lot of people on stages and other podcasts use to convict emotion, inspire you, and say anything is possible. Again, we have a tendency to believe that stories equal reality. You read and hear stories like these all the time. And to be honest, it makes you think that if you just gathered up enough courage and jumped on the deep end, you would get the same outcome. I've experienced the same feelings. This is an example of survivorship bias. Here's what you don't read or hear about a lot. You rarely read or watch a video or hear a story of a person who quits their job, their good paying job, takes out a massive loan and goes bankrupt. But guess what? It happens all the time. Businesses don't die with the roar. They usually die with the whimper. Quietly, when no one is looking where no one is watching, and there's nothing more that they can do about it but sit there and wonder, how did I get here? There's risk in starting a business. There's risk in telling your story because the outcome, what you may get back, may not be what you thought you were going to get. And that's a hard thing to break through. But these are risk. Not every business is going to be successful. When people bring a lot of these top people on stages, right? And they talk about all these amazing things. They may tell you, yeah, I failed five times, 10 times, 25 times. But on the 26th time, I made it. They kind of skim through that period. That period could have been one year. That period could have been 10 years. That period could have been 45 years of sacrifice, of failure, of being told quit, of being told your business is never going to work. Your idea is foolish. It will never work. Move on. That's what I want to talk about in this episode. Risk. We don't talk about risk enough when it comes to business. We don't talk about risk enough when it comes to marketing. So I think it's time we talk about it. This is episode number nine. Hashtag risk. Cue the hype music. What's up, digital world? You're listening to the I Digress audio experience with Troy Sandage. Social media, marketing, storytelling, business, culture, and more. Coming to you in three, two, one. The marketing arm of a business doesn't just handle sales. It deals with client communication, business-to-business communication, business-to-consumer communication, branding, advertising, community building, and a whole bunch of other things. At every phase of this process, the company has to think about how they're conducting their business and who they choose to associate with. I've identified four marketing risks that all businesses face today, and we're going to break down how do we reduce the risk and if it's even worth the risk. Number one, brand perception and value. A brand's public perception can and does drastically affect its value. When you think of brand perception and value, and the risk involved. <laughs> One of the most common ones that's going to ring any business owner's ears right now is a negative review, whether that's on Yelp, on Google, Facebook, or any other review platform. 
or even if they tag your brand or you in their negative rant on social media. And let's say it goes viral. It spreads quickly and it forces you to address it. What do you do? You weigh the options. You can't assume that everyone is going to worship your product, your service. Even those who are big on Apple, they may not agree or like every product that comes out. There's also a different perception when it's a B2C versus a B2B organization, but that's another conversation for another day. My point is we need to break down this thing that what I'm building is perfect and it's not for whatever the reason. Valid or invalid, there will be individuals who will not like your product or your service and will try to paint your brand, your perception, and devalue you as an organization in public ways that can be seen. My advice, as I've worked with clients big and small, I've tackled some pretty heavy risk on political sides in Fortune 500 companies, in SMBs, entrepreneurs, public figures, and everywhere in between. One thing I've learned, assess the risk, assess the volume of people who reach. But wait, let's see how the public responds. I've seen when someone has left a really bad tweet and it went viral, but in a positive way, where people were defending this brand and saying, no, you're the one in the wrong. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to build as community. But within this assessment, we want to make sure that we're doing all that we can. And how do we do that? Be more transparent about things that you're fixing. Hey, we're making our process faster, where our product is going to do this at a higher rate than it did before. That's showing progression. That's showing trust. Then that alleviates that saying, hey, back in 2019, we had this issue. But in 2020, we released three separate blog pieces. We know, we hear you, and we're fixing it. We're doing it. That's how to mitigate the risks and the problems. The key thing here with brand perception and value risk is if you take the time and liberty up front to establish who you are and remind people that you're not perfect and that you're listening to them, active listening, and that you're able to say, we're improving here, we're showing progress here, and you're releasing the veil to show what's going on behind the scenes. When things do happen, your community will come to your aid. Number two, affiliations. Who you are affiliated with as a brand, as a business, as a person. And if you have employees, who your employees are affiliated with. The extension of that, the expansion of all of that together comes back to your business and in some way or another ties you back to them as an affiliate. You find this happening all the time when you're an organization that takes a stand in a political time as now. We had a lot of companies, a lot of brands who shared the Black Square on Black Tuesday who elevated to support black businesses during the summer months of 2020, who allowed people of color within their organizations to amplify their message or even share their thoughts. That in some way is a sense of affiliation and you have to weigh that. Yes, we want to connect. We want to tell stories. We want to lead with empathy, but you also are still running a business. And if you want to hear more about me talking on the BLM and how that correlates with business, I may eventually create a podcast episode about that. But there are quite a few videos on YouTube right now where I'm featured guests on various podcasts and live streams where I talk in depth about that. The point of this whole episode is really talk about the risk. Breaking that all down, you have to really weigh that. Now, if that leads in your favor and doesn't hurt your bottom line, awesome. Now, I'm not saying... When something is wrong and you want to show your moral chops and do it, by all means. But at the end of the day, business is business. And you do calculated risk for a reason. 
because you want to stay in business. You don't want to lose it all to get into a political fight or be affiliated with someone who burns you by perception. So how do we get through all of that? When you're paying with a larger company than your own and using their distribution channels, that's another way to be part of affiliate. There was this whole um, boycott against Facebook. And so if you're a business pushing ads on Facebook and the whole majority is like, no, 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 we don't want to associate with Facebook. We're going to take a step back and you're still doing it. That's a risk that you have, you're willing to take. And it's about perception, but it's also about affiliation. So how do we combat that? No matter where you lie in the political spectrum, no matter where you lie from a money perspective of how you run your business, morals do come up, whether warranted or not, whether internal or not. And you have to find a way to alleviate a lot of that friction so you can still make the forecast projections of money you want to earn month by month, quarter by quarter, year by year in. You must employ active listening here. Do an assessment of what the majority of your audience can tolerate. Literally, this sounds crazy, but this is true. Do an assessment of what your audience tolerates. That gives you the benchmark and the bearings to know how far you can elevate a certain conversation or not. You could do it further, but it could impact your bottom line, impact the revenue coming in, thus impacts everyone's salary or money they get, thus impacting your business overall, and you know how the process goes from there. Whatever software, whatever extended teams, third party apps and businesses that you use that help you run your business, that make your business what it is right now, you must listen, do active listening with each and every one of them and see where the holes are. When an executive of a social media platform or a distribution platform make a statement or a comment that blows up, okay, we need to make a statement for or against or be prepared or condition our customer service team on. We may see a rise in conversations and a negative limelight on social or on calls or on emails about this thing. This is what we're going to say. It's all about managing risk. Number three, and I already talked about this a little bit, advertising. False, misleading, or inaccurate advertising claims can land a company in a lot of hot water. When a company misleads consumers such that they rely on their claims to the point of being harmed, that's a massive moral and ethical problem. Take Uber, for example. Last year, the company posted misleading advertisements about how much money drivers can make working for Uber. After the FTC brought claims against them, finding that Uber had falsely stated higher wages than drivers could actually make, the ride-sharing app was forced to pay millions in fines. The rest is history. As the marketing arm of any business, it's your responsibility, it's your duty to make sure there are no misleading or unethical advertising practices being used. Once public trust is lost and a brand's reputation is damaged, that trust is very difficult, if almost impossible, to regain to where it was before, if at all. When we talk about the affiliation, who you're using to distribute your ads, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, and then not only who you're using, but the ads themselves. Make sure they're in alignment ethically, but still convey the right emotion and spark the right action you would like for them to take. Make sure your messaging and your marketing and your tone is in order. Number four, inadequate marketing strategy. A big part of marketing strategy is collecting information on your potential customers so you can market to their needs. If you aren't collecting data from the right places, if you're not employing active listening, if you aren't bringing in enough of it, and if you're not bringing it in the right way, it will come back to buy you in the form of low conversion rates or potential fines or your business closing shop. 
It's not just about worrying about privacy and anti-spam legislation laws when you're collecting data on forms and ads and everything. It's beyond that. It's making sure that you're using the right language for your audience, the right terms. You're not outdated. You're not living back in the 1900s. Every robust marketing strategy has an aspect of digital advertisement. You're placing your ads the right way, takes proper marketing, sales alignment. If you're trying to sell something to a particular age group, it's best to distribute your marketing efforts where they live, online. Not what you think is best because you have a preference of podcasting or you have a preference of reading the newspaper. That's where I want to be. If your audience doesn't live there, you got to meet them where they are. That may mean make it TikTok, double down on video, bringing on other individuals and collaborating on a live stream more sales calls because depending on your demographic depending on your age group and who you're targeting a phone call may be more effective than anything digital combined phone calls and any tactic to utilize within your marketing arsenal is not dead you're just going to prioritize which ones is making the most money and is the most effective for you of who you're targeting not only should you be marketing to your target demographics on their level and in their language, but you should be tracking what works and what doesn't. Monitor your engagement, your conversions, your sales, and repeat customers to determine where the most successful marketing efforts are and how to replicate them. Find out what needs your product feels and make sure your marketing efforts communicate that effectively. Failure to do this could mean closing up shop because you couldn't reach enough new people to stay in business. It's easier to keep the business that you have than to get new business. But you have to have a certain ratio of percentages of new business coming in and maintaining existing business. You have to have both. The risk involved in that is there's so much to compact with that. It all comes down to strategy. With a very integrated marketing strategy, you can mitigate risk of how you come across in your brand and your value and your perception. You can mitigate risk in who you affiliate with. With an integrated marketing strategy that takes into account all these risks, but also takes into account all the things you want to achieve. It takes into account your audience, who and what, based off how much you want to make, who can pay that, who has a need for that, what channels do they consume on. And then we create language and visuals and messaging and tone and a full integrated experience around all of that. And then we don't just let it sit there. We execute and we analyze and we adjust and hopes of creating and evolving this beautiful system or series of systems that's going to generate the results that we want over and over and over again to make sustainable revenue. So our P&Ls make sense. So we can scale up. But it all comes down to strategy. And strategy is the focal point, the foundation of how we avoid risk, how we lower risk, how we navigate through risk, big and small, that doesn't kill our bottom line and cause us to close our companies down. This is why marketing strategy is so important. And within that, this is why knowing risk and analyzing it and evaluating risk is so important. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Digress. What was your takeaway? Care to share your thoughts and tag Troy on social media? You can find him on all platforms at Find Troy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review or comment for this episode from wherever you're listening. Looking for a marketing strategist to build the structure, strategies, and systems you need to get the success you want and the ROI you desire in your business? Book a discovery call to talk with Troy at findtroy.com. And as Troy's philosophy goes, imagination is the engine, content is the fuel, social media is the highway, marketing is the roadmap, sales is the destination, culture is the GPS. 
Thanks for listening. 